All right, Black Box Radio. We have Brian Sims today. Say hi to the people. Hey, everybody. All right. So, can you just um, acclimate us on what you do professionally? Sure. I um, so professionally, um, and I, I never really know what hat I'm wearing, depending on the setting I'm in, because a lot of the stuff just it, it kind of overlaps. But professionally, I am director of quality and health improvement at the Maryland Hospital Association, and that's a bit of a mouthful, but. Um, basically, I work on quality policies to improve care for individuals throughout the state of Maryland and additionally work on um, reducing health disparities and increasing health equity uh, with hospitals and identifying partners to do that work. Um, I also am the president of a nonprofit that uh, I co-founded five years ago, the Greater Baltimore Health Improvement Initiative, and it's focused on empowering individuals in Baltimore to take control of their health through education, advocacy, and action. And then finally, and probably most pressing right now, I am running for city council in Baltimore City's 7th District, which is uh, Central West and Northwest Baltimore. Mm, that was that, a That's a lot. A lot going on. <laughs> mouthful. But what, it, what you're saying, though, um, in this times, health is a big issue and people's prior issues are or pre-existing conditions, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And also the ability for hospitals to service people has been definitely affected by COVID-19. So Absolutely. how are you guys and um, what you do, what play has COVID-19 kind of destroyed what you guys do? You do? Yeah, so it has had a major impact. Um, we have been working. We So my office has officially been closed for eight weeks now. And we have been working literally almost around the clock. I mean, I'm in front of a computer almost 12 hours a day between work and campaign stuff, primarily work right now. Um, And and again, because like I said, a lot of this work overlaps. The work that I am incredibly passionate about addressing health disparities and health equity, I'm blessed to be able to do that for my job, my nine to five. And so a lot of this stuff overlaps. But um, we have, I particularly have been working to address the vulnerable populations. How do we ensure that they continue to receive the care that they need um, in spite of the hospital's demands uh, relative to the COVID response? So we've been working on that. In the first couple of weeks, it was addressing um, homeless populations and uh, foster youth. And most recently, um, I recently uh, worked with the Maryland, uh, excuse me, the American Heart Association on um, a public service announcement. Um, you know, in you know helping people to understand that if they have any kind of chronic illnesses, uh, heart uh, disease, um, any uh, factors that might increase their risk of stroke to please come into the hospital because we're seeing an increase in people who are dying at home and or having stroke and heart attacks at home because they're afraid to come into the hospital for fear of catching COVID. So it has had an impact. Obviously, we hear a lot about the impact on the fir- the frontline providers, the nurses, the doctors, and the other staff mm-hmm. in the hospital. But it's having an impact on people who don't have coronavirus, but who are afraid to come and get care. And so, some of their conditions are getting worse. So there's a is definitely a um, a, a chain reaction, and a lot of things are connected to this uh, pandemic. Wow, you said something that most people don't consider is the ancillary effect yep. of something deadly being present where where in a hospital that serviced the deadly yep. virus. So people don't want to go in for, I mean, I've just said that to someone today. You don't want to get sick. Yep. You know, um, so this is not the time to be sick unless you have a, you know, have a really, pre- have something that's really um, right, right. Present right now, but you do not want to go in a hospital leisurely. Like some people use the ERS almost like 
their medical doctor. That's their primary care. Exactly. And that's not what you should do right now. But this is so amazing that you said that people are dying at home or not actually servicing their real conditions because they don't want to go near the COVID-19. Right, right. And the way, and one of the ways, interesting ways that that showed up, and this is why data is so important Mm -hmm. um, and looking at being able to look at numbers. Um, Physicians uh, started to notice that the um, emergency room volume for particular illnesses was, was down drastically. You know, people didn't stop having heart attacks. People didn't stop having strokes because coronavirus hit, but yet those people stopped coming into the hospital. So what's going on? And and I'll take this moment to say this, May is Stroke uh, Awareness Month, National Stroke mm-hmm. Awareness Month. And the critical thing about stroke is that your um, uh, outcomes or your potential for a full recovery or a better recovery are based on how quickly you get care after signs of a stroke. And so it's important to get care immediately uh, after that. And so that is something that a lot of uh, providers and hospitals have been worried about. And we are working to make sure people understand that there are protections and precautions in place to keep them safe while they are in the hospital for care. And I really think, um, Brian, per se, um, I am a healthcare professional. And uh, all right, I hope I, I hope I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, I am exactly. I, I'm, I'm, and I'm working on Saturday, actually. I mm. So um, anyway, but that has nothing to do with this. But what I was no, that's, that's good. what I'm saying is, is it's it's really um, hard to go through this process. Uh, and we have no federal response because it would definitely help when it comes to these ancillary conditions, if we had an actual structure or we were creating a structure, you can have hospitals in regions that are just for people who've had pre-existing conditions so they can feel safer. You, yep. you understand what I'm saying? Yep, All absolutely. hospitals don't have to be the, the uh, um, adjustment for COVID-19. You can right. kind of fuel them uh, or move them to m- maybe four hospitals that are near each other and then have this one outlier that is servicing more of people who have heart attacks or stroke. Mm -hmm. But it just, you know, we don't have this fear to get care. But that, you know, you would need structure. You definitely would need resources from the federal government and you would need a real president. Let's be clear. You would need real leadership. Absolutely. You would, you definitely would need real leadership. I'm not, I'm not a fan of um, Hoagie, but he's doing a very good job responding to this crisis. Now his outlying policies, I'm, I'm not in agreement, but I definitely understand that he, he understands how to be a leader. Right. Yeah. That's important. And what do you well, think? I, I, I think I think that's absolutely important. I do think that I would be remiss if I didn't call out the bad decisions that he made over the past uh, 24 hours or so. Yes. Um, vetoing the funding for the Kerwin and uh, and, also, and, and the funding for HBCUs. And so I think that is I think that is a, a, a huge mistake. And, um, you know, we all have been, you know, somewhat praising his response to the coronavirus pandemic. But see, part of that is because the bar has been set so low from a federal level that it's easy to look like a hero in times like this. And I think that that's something that we can't forget. So I do want to say that. However, um, you know, we are fortunate that we have had uh, competent leadership on specifically related to the coronavirus response, even if there are some areas where we could point at um, as, you know, something different should happen. But it's always easy to uh, be an armchair quarterback. 
Um, with that said, I do think that a coordinated federal response helps immensely because when you don't have every state isn't fortunate enough to have various resources or infrastructure put in place. But the one thing I want to point out is everything you just said um, related to the coronavirus response in some ways that that could have been handled with the right infrastructure and leadership is the kind of work that um, one of the things that I work on in my professional job, um, when we talk about access to care and access to healthcare and why certain populations don't trust the healthcare system as it currently exists, those are the kind of hurdles that we're trying to overcome. So the coronavirus pandemic is really highlighting a lot of issues that we've been dealing with for generations related to lack of access, related to lack of trust, related to um, uh, uh, um, issues that are leading to these health disparities. It really is is shining a light on these things. And I think that it'll be a missed opportunity if we don't learn as much as we can from you know these things that are being highlighted and what are some of the things that have worked in the coronavirus response and mm-hmm. some of the things that haven't worked and how we can apply that beyond this pandemic. Absolutely. We have to use this as preparation because it, it won't stop. Absolutely. Viruses will continue. They've been here since the beginning and they will always be here and they're getting worse. And so we really, this type of um, structuring that we're kind of creating, I mean, because when states are competing for um, PPE and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and competing to try to get things for each state, then that's a, that's a big problem. That's why the federal, um, federal um, partnership is so important. We don't yep. have that, but um, what's happening in healthcare, I think when it comes to um, the hospitals and even healthcare professionals, we're looking at healthcare in a different way. We understand that a lot of the stuff that we, we thought were like the hospital issue, it's really like regional. Yeah, absolutely. Federal, you know, we thought the hospital was just hope, but it's really a concerted effort from resources from so many municipalities. And it's a problem. Well, you know, to respond to that, um, you're absolutely right. And I think that one of the things that people miss is that um, when it comes to healthcare and health outcomes and these disparities that we're talking about, mm-hmm. only 30% of uh, your health outcomes are related to your care in a hospital or a doctor's office or anything mm-hmm. you know, related to things that you don't have control over, um, genetics, things like that. Sure. So almost 70% is related to the conditions that you live in, the environment around you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and to your point, those uh, situations and, and environments are created through policies and practice at your local level, mm-hmm. sometimes at your federal level. And so when I do this work, um, working with hospitals and partners to address health disparities and health equity, you know, there's always this, this um, uh, a bit of a, a tug of war of whose responsibility is it to address uh, individuals in the communities that they live in. Is it the hospitals? Is it the state? Is it the health department? You know, we it's a all hands on deck approach. And I think that everybody has to participate in it. It's in the hospital's best interest to have a healthier population, especially mm-hmm. the way that they are reimbursed here in Maryland. And I just got a little too technical. I apologize. Right. But um, the system is created such that um, it benefits everyone for the population to be healthier. And so, um, and that is what I mean when I say identifying partners to do this work, um, whether that is the, um, the county executives, the, the city leadership, you know, uh, uh, for-profit um, partners, you know, the, it, it's across the board and it's going to take an all hands on deck to really get um, some solutions that are sustainable. Exactly. Exactly. It kind of, it kind of gets 
takes away the arrogance that we've had. Like, it's your problem. But Absolutely. COVID-19 has shown if you don't clean those folks up, they're going to kill you. Yep. That's yep. because we're all in this together. And, and that's why we have to do better. We have to be humane about policies. We have to be humane about how we give resources to different communities. Everybody needs to sit at the table so we all can be healthy. And that's the Absolutely. Truth. So we're going to move on because I'll be on that all day. You and me both. <laughs> I'll be on that all day. I want to know, like, personally, how are you affected? I know you have your young children yeah. and your family. Yeah. How yeah. has COVID-19 kind of gotten into your personal life? Well, um, the house can't stay clean. Um, <laughs> and I re- <laughs> and I realized, so I have two children, a five-year-old and a currently a two-year-old, but she will be three in a week and a half. So a three-year-old and a five-year-old at home. Hmm. Um, the first two weeks, probably not even quite two weeks, we were really sticking to a schedule and we we're like, y'all are going to learn at home. We had them on their zoom classes and all that, you know, we bought textbooks for, or, you know, workbooks for my son who's five mm-hmm. and all of that went out the window after about week three or so. And now we're just trying to keep them from screaming and chasing each other around the house. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, um, you know, you know, people trying, you know, trying not to get sick. So you don't have to go to the hospital. My daughter fell down the steps twice. Ooh. in the first week and it just terrified me Ooh. and 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 part of that was because I'm like we can't afford to go to the hospital right now with everybody in there being sick and so mm-hmm. um it, it has been I'm not even gonna lie it has been stressful trying to um you know work and thinking that you can work because my wife she works full-time as well I work full-time we are working full-time from home mm. we are my wife is my campaign manager we oh. are doing that around the clock and so to do that and to think that we can homeschool too and try to keep a house together. So around week three, we definitely realized that we had to extend ourselves some grace and that things are not going to be perfect. And it's just going to be like that. Um, And, you know, hopefully, you know, someday soon, you know, we can start to clean up and it'll stay clean and the kids can see their grandparents. The kids have been fine. They do miss their cousins and their grandparents. Um, Zoom has been a godsend. At least they get to see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that, you know, and I'm going to say this too, the, the, the mental health toll, and this is something that you hear a lot of people talking about, and I just, I know I just took it back to healthcare, but okay. it is going to be immense. The response mm-hmm. that's going to be needed when we come out of this and myself personally, I don't deal with any, um, chronic or acute mental health uh, issues that I know of. Um, but we all have our moments. We all have, um, you know, our moments. And I feel sometimes, you know, just feeling like just wore out. And and I think that, you know, it it is having a toll. And I think that we have to acknowledge that and we have to be okay with, with saying we need help, okay with saying that we need a minute. And so that has been the biggest toll, that and just eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think what you said is so... Amazing because my biggest thought, and people might come for me, but I just think that rushing these kids to school and rushing people back into uh, telework or whatever we're calling this is a disservice to the human population because we have not unpacked COVID 19. And I'm, I'm not saying that kids should not go to school. I'm not saying that we shouldn't work. That is something we should do. But on a not, this is not normal. And we're trying to go on as it is normal. It is not. And when you try to make something normal that isn't normal, that's psychosis. Yep. yep. So now you introduce mental health that you don't need to have when you just deal with it as it is not normal. Right. But again, leadership has to do that, 
has to give you proper messaging and also proper resources. You, like Canada, Canada is giving their folks nine eighty every, every two weeks. Oh wow! I mean, I can. It's amazing what Canada's doing. For yeah. I mean, it's a smaller country, of course, but still, you know, they understand that the pressure of money and and nine eighty is not enough to take care of a lot of families. But we're not doing much now. It's, it's, it's better than nothing. You know, all these food drives and. Things that are happening out there that a lot of people are doing, you know, mm-hmm. that 980, if, you know, if people have access to that be able to spend game, it correctly, bro. it would change it. It would change mm-hmm. so much. It would change it so much. So we, you know, you just need a lot in place. We got to look at the, we got to look at the tool called voting um, because we need leaders with empathy and structure. We, we, we need mm-hmm. to have that, but we also need to look at um, structuring this country in a fairer mode. Yes. And if yeah. we did this, then when we get to this point, when something comes into our our society and kind of uh, exasperates everything we do and takes away all of our norms, we're able to recover and deal with our children and our lives. Now everyone is just trying to live into this box of being normal and there's no such thing. Right, right. You know, so yeah. don't don't fault yourself for having a dirty house. Everybody house dirty. I don't glad <laughs> we're not on Zoom. Oh look, we wouldn't be. I would have one of those virtual backgrounds. <laughs> Me too, bro. Because I mean, because it's serious out here. It's, it's serious. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. cannot address everything. You know, you you tell people you got three kids. They all need to be on a computer doing their school. Then you need to work. You need to make sure they're structured. That's a lot. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. so I understand what you're going through. I'm glad I'm not going through it. <laughs> That's yeah, we all have our we all have our battle, our struggles. You know, I was telling somebody earlier today that does not have small children. They're like, man, I don't know how you do it. I'm like, you know what? You know, everybody has their own issues. It's that stressful, but the the smile that they sometimes bring to your face is something that if you don't have them around, you don't you won't know that feeling either. And so. It's a balancing act. I don't know how long that, you know, this can go on, but um, we are managing. And, um, you know, fortunately, the kids understand what's going on as, as best as they could. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so they are actually enjoying this, I think. <laughs> well, you know, humans at some point, what we do over repetitively becomes our behavior. Yeah. So even though this is so chaotic, but we're starting to, I see people outside regularly now with gloves Mm -hmm. and masks. I mean, we're regularly functioning in this now. And as we go on and on, we will find ways to cope. And that's, that's that's what it is. So I want to, I want to read what I, um, Canada closed schools for the rest of the year, froze mortgages and rent giving, gives out 980 every two weeks. Oh, wow. And the people only have to pay their utilities. What? Yeah. See, and, why, and I why think can't change this country. Just, just talk to me. I, I think that um, you said something earlier, and I think that's going to be the first step. And I don't know if we'll see it in my lifetime or our lifetime, but um, is um, you have to build uh, a sense of humility into the pra- your practices and your governing. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of great things that are happening in other countries around the world, but we here in America for so long have. Um, just adopted this, you know, America is so great and perfect and everything. And Mm -hmm. the problem with that is it doesn't allow you room for improvement. If we adopt that mentality in our everyday lifestyle, you know, if you are someone who works out or you're somebody who goes for a run or Mm -hmm. you're an artist, 
if you wake up every day and tell yourself that, I mean, I don't know, different things for different people, but if you wake up for me, if, 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 if I wake up every day and tell myself that I'm perfect and I'm the greatest at something, then what is going to be my motivation to improve? What is going to be my motivation to look elsewhere to see if they are doing something better and how can I adopt that? We don't do enough of that in this country. And that, and that's one of the problems I have. Every time I see this, you know, America's the greatest America. First of all, as a black man in America, I think that, that is something that we have never been able to adopt. And when I do see somebody adopting that mentality, uh, and a black person in particular, I find that to be a little bit curious. And, and I'm not judging. You know, I, I would like to hear more. But, you know, to say that we are so great and so perfect, it's to ignore so many of the issues we have. And I think that that comes with humility. I think that comes with saying, yeah, we're pretty good at things. We are we, we are a great country or we can be a great country. But you know what? There are great things going on in the world. What can we find and, uh, and improve on? Sure. I think that's the mentality we need. And until we adopt that, I don't, I don't think we will, um, you know, a lot of these things, we're just going to keep spinning our wheels. We got to try new people, though. This, it's, it's the truth. No one wants to talk about it. But this country be, can be governed more, can be governed by all people, not just all white men. And it's the oh, truth. 100 percent. And I think change the dynamic of who is governing because there's different people in the world. We got to get new perspectives. If we don't, we're going to perish. And we're seeing it. It's live in, in action right in front of us. Yeah, I think the the lack of um, imagination in what a leader can be, I think, is is a challenge um, that we have to overcome. You know, I, I grew up in a household with four sisters. I was in the middle, too younger, too older. You know, um, you know, I'm married to an amazing woman. You know, the 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 conversation around first of all, the fact that people would even have that conversation, the fact that people thought it was okay to have a conversation about whether or not America was ready for a woman president or whether or not they could accept a woman president. I think it shows the problem right there. You yeah. know, it's a lot like we imagine how ridiculous it would be if somebody said, you think a white man can run this country or a white man can be the CEO of this country. They would look at you like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? But to ask in 20 now is 2020 um, to, to even ask that question and to feel comfortable saying no, you don't think that you're ready for or this country is ready for, then then you're acknowledging that there's a problem in this country. And mm -hmm. I think that you can't just say that and not figure out how to solve it. I mean, yeah, I'm running for city council in Baltimore City. And I think that, you know, that doesn't mean that anybody should be precluded from the, the opportunity to seek elected office. But I think that um, to say that a woman is not qualified for an office because she's a woman, I think is a problem. I think you're missing the whole boat. Just like saying that a woman is qualified just because she's a woman, I think is you're missing the point too. I think that everybody should be evaluated on their merits. And I think that women have shown time and time again that they are more than qualified. And I'll be the first to say that. Mm, well, I second that notion. But <laughs> definitely second that notion. But, but truthfully, it is a problem when the quantification for leadership starts in your gender. Yeah. Yep. Let, let's be clear. Yep. <laughs> has to, if the quantification of it starts in your gender, then we first have an issue. Right. And and, and that's a problem. But okay, a lot of problems in the U.S. So uh, we can go on and on. We can go on all day <laughs> and solve none of them. But, I mean, none of them. <laughs> and, well, and here's the thing, I, and I want to say this: the 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 solution to a lot of our problems. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not an engineer, but the solutions to a lot of our problems, the infrastructure, the the systems, they exist. 
But what we often have is a lack of will to implement, a lack of will. And so the humility part we already talked about. So that's a problem, too. But then we have the lack of will, you know, and I say that because in in working to address health disparities and health equity, and we mentioned earlier, there's always this conversation of whose job is it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes what's missing and what's lacking is the will to acknowledge racism and how that plays a role. The Mm -hmm. will and the willing, the willingness, the will to um, say, you know what, this has been a problem for far too long. We know what has worked elsewhere. It's time to try it. There often isn't that. You have to wrap this, you have to wrap the issue and the solutions up into a nice, neat bow or bury it in a cookie. And it and you know, we just can't be open about it. And and you have to play that game. And and I think that that's, you know, part of the frustration with folks. And and honestly, that's one of the reasons I'm seeking elected office because, you know, I do have some knowledge about some of the things that work and some of the systemic issues that have led to some of the disparities we see in the city. And we just need more people in positions of leadership that A, understand that, and B, have the will to do something about it. Mm, Well said, well said. All right, so we're at the part of the interview where we do the LWT, that's the last will and testament, and that's where you Mm -hmm. leave something inspirational with the the folks. So we want to hear Brian's jewel. Leave a jewel. My jewel is this, and um, I think you you, you hit on this earlier, and you said something a couple of times that... um, that resonated with me, and I've been saying this a lot lately about leadership is compassion. And I, you know, living in Baltimore City, I have, you know, it's a, it is um, an act of love, and I, it is love is not always a feeling or emotion. Sometimes it's a verb. It is a practice, and I think that you know I would like for us to see us to um, as a society see the humanity in each other. We're not perfect. But, uh, you know, to just believe in humanity and see the humanity in people, even their imperfections. And I think that, you know, what worries me is that while we are afraid to come within six feet of neighbors and strangers and even family and friends now, I just really hope that that is not something that uh, persists after this pandemic is over. And I want to see us embrace one another more so than we were even before this. And I definitely don't want to see us come out of this and um, less willing to embrace one another. So I just ask everybody to to um, practice the physical labor of love for your neighbor and to um, uh, view the humanity in one another. Awesome. Awesome. Gee? Brian, thank you so much for sharing your your perspectives on both the, the macro level um, in the systems and the micro levels of your the way that you're dealing with the um, situation in your home. We really appreciate you adding your voice to to the Rona Report. Absolutely. Thank you all for having me. This was a great conversation. I appreciate what you all do and uh, keep it up. All right. If you are listening and you enjoy this conversation, you can find all the voices of the Rona Report at blackboxradio.com. That's B-L-A-K-B-O-X-X-R-A-D-I-O.com. You can also find Black Box Radio on Facebook and Instagram at Black Box Radio. And you can find us on Twitter at Box Black. That's B-O-X-X-B-L-A-K. And if you're hearing this message now, we need your help to help us spread the word. These uh, reports are being suppressed on social media platforms. So share them with your friends and family. Send a text, send an email so that everyone can hear these important voices. 
All right, so you're in that Rona report. We just spoke with Brian Stems. He is a candidate for city council in District 7, right, Brian? Absolutely. All right, and we appreciate you. We appreciate your input. Great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you all. I appreciate the opportunity. So it's 5 8 20. We're in that Rona report. Black Box Radio. We out.